Today we'll talk with a woman who was married to a polygamist and we'll interview an expert about the cults within Mormonism that still allow this practice. Plus, we'll preview CNN's three-day special analyzing the power of religion in world governments. Also, we'll look at China's attempt to regulate reincarnation. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Let's call God Allah. That's what a Christian bishop in the Netherlands says. He says it could take another hundred years, but eventually the name Allah will be used by Dutch churches. And that will promote agreement between the two religions. What do you think about that proposal? Christians calling God Allah. We're going to take your calls right away tonight on this. The number is 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. Is the Allah, God of Islam, the same as the God of the Bible, Jehovah? Is he the same? And should Christians begin to use the word Allah? Again, the Bishop of Breda, Tiny Muskins, says in the Netherlands, the churches are going to begin and should begin to use the word Allah even in the Eucharist in the Lord's Supper. We want your opinion. 800-881-9270. The show today about religion, about Islam, it's about Buddhism, it's about Hinduism, it's about Mormonism, and of course, it's about Christianity. What else is up, Penna? Well, Dr. Johnson, beginning tonight, CNN's Christian Anmanpour is going to host a three-night special, six hours, on the role of religions, talking about three faiths, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And you got to wonder what CNN's take is going to be. The scripture is the blueprint to life and living. They are sure of their mission. Our role is to redeem the entire world. And the stakes are high. Do you really wish that you could have been martyred? Yes, martyrdom was my biggest wish. What they have in common, Jews, Christians and Muslims, is the belief that modern society has lost its way. They're raping virgin teenage America on the sidewalk and everybody's walking by and acting like everything's okay. The problem we have now with these civilizations is we don't offer the man where to go. He doesn't know his place in life. The people that don't keep the Torah, they don't understand the meaning of being Jews, they're wasting their life. 
They say God is the answer. I would like to see America become the nation under God again. But their battle to save the world has caused anger, division and fear. I believe that Islam is a real threat. Something's gone wrong. We've too closely fused politics and our faith. I'm Christiane Amanpour in Jerusalem, a place sacred to Christians, Muslims and Jews. Each has zealous followers driven to change the world. They are God's warriors and this is how they are shaping the 21st century. If you watch this program tonight, remember to do it through your Christian worldview lens. And in America, of course, we do oppose government regulation of religion. It's always a constant battle here. And there's a story out of China. That government is micromanaging Buddhism in Tibet, banning monks from reincarnating without government permission. We're going to ask an expert on religion about that. And also, what about Mormonism? Mormonism's leaders say that polygamy is banned from that religion, but we know there are certain fundamentalist cults that still practice it. And we're going to talk with a woman who was married to a polygamist for 28 years. She thought it guaranteed her a place in heaven. We're also going to bring in an expert on Mormonism. All of that, we'll try to fit it in with a shoehorn. All right. Well, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is the name of God? A bishop, a Christian bishop in the Netherlands has said, let's call God Allah. And he's advising, he is advising Christians to call God Allah. He's advising us to use the name Allah in the Eucharist, in the communion. And he says in a hundred years, the name Allah will be used by Dutch churches, and this will promote peace between Islam and Christianity. What is God's name? Does it make a difference? And this isn't really just about the Netherlands. It's about Texas. It's not just about Texas. It's about Texas Baptist. We're going to talk about a local controversy right here among Baptists in Texas about this very issue. But we've already got callers on the line. We want to know what you think. Is the Allah of Islam the same as the God of the Bible? We've got Mo Toupay on the line from Wiley. Mo Toupay, thank you for calling. What's your view? Um, hi, Dr. Johnson. I thank God for your show. Although I may not agree with everything that you say, but I thank God for your show. I haven't read or heard anything about this, but if it is indeed the truth, then something must be wrong somewhere. If anything should change, the Muslims should call their God Jesus and not the other way around. <laughs> I like that. If it is true, it is, just, it is just absolutely ridiculous. And I just pray that this so-called reverend or whatever he is will not incur the wrath of God himself. Thank mm. you very much. Well, thank you, Motupe. That's a very strong opinion, and I think perhaps uh, a very scriptural opinion, because um, we're told that um, the name of God is very special in the Bible. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. You know, I think part of this is this whole idea of merging all the religions, which some people try to do. That may be part of his motivation. Something else he said is that in Indonesia, they already do this. He's saying some churches do this. And he says that Allah is a very beautiful word for God. So shouldn't we just go ahead and call God Allah? What does God care what we call him? Well, he does care. All right. We've got Barry on the line from Fort Worth. Barry, thank you for holding. Is... Allah, the God of the Bible. In one word, Dr. Johnson, never, ever, 
And actually, uh, I think that scripture in First Timothy two, where Paul said, uh, "There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus." And thank you very much for letting me uh, comment on that. Thank you, Barry. Certainly, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What about that passage in Philippians? God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus, the most important name, the highest name, the holiest name, and of course in the Old Testament, the name of Jehovah. Is the Jehovah of the Old Testament the Allah of the Quran? We're taking your calls. We've got Dion on the line from Ennis. Dion, thank you for calling. What's your view? Thank you, Jerry, for taking my call. Um, I've done a study on the names of God and the names of Christ in the Bible, and obviously this bishop hasn't done that because I don't see Allah mentioned anywhere. Well, Allah is not in the Bible. What they're doing is making an argument from uh, the Arabic language that the word Allah uh, means God. And then they're reversing back there, logically, to say, well, that must be the one true and living God that Christians and Jews acknowledge. But, Penna, this just is, uh, it's not just about the Netherlands. It's about the United States, and it's about Texas. It's about Texas Baptist. On February 19th of this year, a conference sponsored by the Baptist General Convention of Texas, that's the moderate to liberal convention here in Texas, Uh, They hosted a conference, and they had a speaker named Charles Kimball. And uh, here's what he said in the conference. This is a direct quote from Associated Baptist Press. There is no God but God. That's the fundamental beginning point of Islam, Kimball said. The name for God in Islam in Arabic is Allah. This is not another God. This is the God. It's the same God that Jews and Christians are talking about. And I want to say Kimball, who's from Wake Forest, brought in by the Baptist General Convention of Texas, is essentially saying the same thing as this bishop from the Netherlands. He's saying there's just one God, and that, well, I agree with that point, but then he says his name in Arabic is Allah, and this is the same God that Christians and Jews are talking about. I don't see how anybody could take the Bible seriously and believe that. We want to know what you think. We've got Bob on the line from Terrell. Bob, what do you make of all this? Yes, Dr. Johnson, I think it's ridiculous that uh, they would think this because the Muslim faith believes that the only way to get to paradise is by the shedding of innocent blood. But uh, the Christian faith says that the only way we get to heaven is by the shedding of Christ's blood. Thank you, Bob, so much. Well, yes, uh, the Muslim view of salvation is certainly different than the Christian view of salvation. But we're back to another fundamental point, and that is, is the God of Islam, the God of the Koran, Allah, the same God as the God of the Bible, of the Old and the New Testament? And should Christians refer to him as Allah? Even when they take the Lord's Supper, that is what the bishop from the Netherlands says. That's what the speaker at the Baptist General Convention of Texas Conference says. It's the same God. No big deal. No big difference. We want to know your view. We've got Keith on the line from Grand Prairie. Keith, thank you for calling. What do you make of all this, Keith? I think there's no way it's the same God. If you'll go to www.bible and then print in moon God, you'll find out that actually... They're Allah. They're talking about a pagan moon god. You can research it on the internet. I've been looking at it today. 
Yes, you're right. There is an Arab spirituality, if you want to call it that, a moon god. And I think you're right to link Allah, that name, with that moon god, not the god of the Bible. You know, when you look at these people that are so-called Christians, like the Bishop of Breda, and of course we have really no idea what his relationship with the living God is, even though he's calling himself a bishop in the Netherlands, I think that you're absolutely right when you say this is in the name of security, because in the Netherlands it's pretty dangerous to be a Christian, and the Islamic population is growing. So what this really is is a multicultural, politically uh, correct attempt to get everybody to get along. And that's why he's calling for this. I think it just has to do with the political culture that exists there, and it's happening in other countries in Europe. So it's something we need to be aware of and definitely delineate between the God of Islam, who they call Allah, and the God of the Bible. All right, there's an old song in the Baptist hymn book, Blessed Be the Name. Blessed be the name, the name. of the name of the Lord, of Jehovah. Is that name important, really? Or is it just as accurate to use the name Allah? We've got Carl on the line from Colorado City. Carl, thank you for calling. What's your view? Uh, yes, hi. Um, I, I was just wondering, um, well, my view is particularly that it's not really about an issue of, of, not that it's not an issue of naming God, but I'm wondering why can't it just be an issue of interpretation, whether or not um, this is the same God is the issue, but whether or not it's just being um, interpreted differently, and whether or not that interpretation is correct by either party, whether Christians or Islam. Um, if it is the same God, why um, why isn't it not more of an issue of interpreting who God is rather than what his name actually is? Well, I think it goes back to a basic confessional statement that Muslims make, and that is there's one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Now, that's just not a matter of interpretation. It's a name, and it's a prophet that's identified. And so that's very specific. We've still got callers on the line, and uh, we'll try to take some more calls later in the show about this. And we'll talk about how the Baptist General Convention of Texas, the moderate to liberal convention, has reacted and tried to cover up from their conference. And was that adequate? Have they actually resolved the controversy? Are they adding really... uh, fuel to the fire. I'll tell you what they've had to say about it later on, but coming up, we're going to talk about another religion, Mormonism, and its offshoots, polygamy. We're going to talk to a woman who was married to a polygamist. We're going to talk about Mormonism, Mitt Romney, polygamy. Stay tuned. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pentadexter. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today to register for the fall term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today to register for the fall term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. 
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. One of the things, the important aspects of this race is role modeling what good families should look like. And my view is that if you can't run your own house, you certainly can't run the White House. Can't do it. (laughs) Well, that's Michelle Obama, Barack Obama's wife. She's campaigning for her husband in Iowa. She's talking about the importance of leadership in one's home as an important qualification to be president. Now, some people think that might have been a backhanded slap at Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. and Bill Clinton and the fact that there was turmoil in the White House. And if you can't run your own house, you can't run the White House. I think it's interesting to think about First Timothy 3 and the passage on church leadership, where essentially we're told if one cannot run, run their own house, how can they run uh, the house of God, the church of God? Well, we're going to talk right now about family life. Families are a big theme in this presidential race. I mean, in fact, uh, Michelle Obama was basically saying that she's a, a better wife, in a sense, because she travels with her husband than Hillary, who doesn't, <laughs> or who doesn't have her husband with her all the time. But there are lots of themes, and one of them, of course, is Mormonism. We're looking at a major candidate who is rising, who is a Mormon, and you know, kind of wondering if this is going to legitimize Mormonism. And uh, so we sort of need to understand this religion and even a, a, a side of it, which is fairly dis- Destructive, which is polygamy. So with us to help us do that is someone who is really in it. Uh, her, she is Irene Spencer. She lives in Anchorage, Alaska, and she was married for 28 years to a polygamous husband. She thought that this was the right thing to do within this cult of Mormonism to get her to heaven, and she's written a book about it, and uh, the book is called Shattered Dreams. And Irene, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, but I do want to say I am not in it. It sounded like I am still in it, and I am not. (laughs) You're no longer in it. In fact, you've been married to uh, another husband, one husband of one wife, for about 19 years, correct? Yes, I will be 20 years this December, and uh, I have become a Christian, and... uh, I am out to tell the world about it. Well, we want you to tell us and tell our listeners, first of all, were you a Mormon when you got involved in this polygamous marriage? Well, my husband was a Mormon, but I was raised in what they call fundamentalist Mormon, and that means that they stuck with the uh, original Mormonism, and even though the church excommunicated all those that... uh, would not uh, f- uh, give up, you know, polygamy. They excommunicated him, but they became known as the fundamentalists. And so I claimed all my life to be a Mormon fundamentalist. They say that we're not, but you know what? They're the ones that introduced polygamy. They're the ones that said we had to live it, and we're following uh, by what they said. So we are Mormon fundamentalists. And later, my husband was excommunicated from the Mormon Church when they found out that uh, I was pregnant uh, as his second wife. Okay, so you were a second wife. He already had a wife. He already had other kids. Uh, Tell us just how these numbers began to add up. Well, I was born in 1937, and at the time that I was born, my father had four wives, uh, all living in the same house, and the first two wives were half-sisters, and my mother was the second wife. Now, my grandmother was the second wife, And I followed in my mother's footsteps, and at the age of 16, I also married my sister's husband. Did you ever feel jealous of these other wives? Oh, certainly. You know, we're women, and and, uh, I think God gave us all a nature to... And we're all just exactly alike. 
but we had been uh, brainwashed for so many years believing that we were going to go directly to hell if we didn't live polygamy. So therefore, we tried to smother our, our feelings and push them down, and we lived in denial all the time. How do you explain this to your kids? Because don't uh, Mormon kids and these Mormon cult kids have contact with other young people in their communities? Well, you know, most people are isolated. And in my case, I, when I was 16, I went to Mexico in the state of Chihuahua and uh, was on a ranch, on the LeBaron Ranch. My husband was named Berlin LeBaron. And I lived on a ranch there for the first 16 years, no electricity, uh, drawing water out of the wells. I had no radio, no music, no nothing, because we just didn't have it. And I've lived a very isolated and sheltered life. This is Jerry Johnson Live, and we're talking to Irene Spencer. She's the author of the book, Shattered Dreams, My Life as a Polygamous Wife. Irene Spencer, married for 28 years to Verlin LeBaron, who later became president of the Church of the Firstborn. Uh, Irene, tell us about this church. Tell us about the principle. Tell us about the doctrine. What, what's the doctrine back of um, polygamy? And what does it do for the woman, doctrinally speaking, getting to heaven or going to hell? What does it do for the man, his status in heaven? What do they believe? Well, Jerry, thank you so much for having me. I just want to take every chance I can to, to praise God. And uh, I want you to know that uh, the reason we adhere to polygamy and have done is because the Mormons uh, had a revelation, uh, Joseph Smith did, that people should uh, live polygamy, and it was the only way to heaven, and they were, would not become gods if they didn't live that principle. And still today, in one of their books, it's called The Doctrine and Covenants, you can turn there to section 132, and it tells you in there about the uh, plurality of wives, and it tells you that if you do not live this, you will not go to heaven. And it says if a woman doesn't administer to her husband and help him get other wives, she shall be destroyed. And because of the brainwashing and because of the fear of going to hell, and we, they uh, spurred us on by telling us that we would become goddesses. And the sad thing about it is I was taught all my life that my husband was going to be my savior, that he was my savior, and he was going to pull me through the veil into my exaltation. So therefore, if you weren't obedient, if you didn't keep a smile on your face and do what was right, uh, your whole salvation was at stake. Let me ask you this, Irene. Let me remind our listeners, you are no longer in a polygamous marriage. You are no longer in Mormonism. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your husband isn't going to save you. You know that Jesus is the one who saves. I want to remind our listeners of that. But let me ask you about a book that I've read. It's the book Under the Banner of Heaven by Krakauer. He talks a lot about a couple of doctrines in Mormonism. He talks about the idea of extra-biblical revelation and the idea of these prophets. And he talks about Elizabeth Smart and that she was programmed, she was hardwired actually to be um, subdued and fooled and um, intimidated by this, this man who kidnapped her because she had been told that there was ongoing revelation there were new prophets, and this man could be one of those prophets. Do you believe this religion, this cult teaching, really uh, opens young people up to that kind of abuse? 
Well, in the first place, everybody that is a Mormon and in these fundamentalist groups, we were told to not betray the brethren. Now, we have prophets. Everybody has, and most of the cults have a prophet. Most of the fundamentalist polygamous cults have a prophet. Some of them are uh, what they call independents, which was what my father was. But uh, even in the Mormon church, they follow the brethren, and we were told not to betray them. And not betraying the brethren meant to keep your mouth shut when you saw women receive beatings. It meant to keep your mouth shut when you saw a man marry a widow or a divorcee, and two weeks later he married her uh, 13- and 14-year-old daughters. Uh, uh, Not betraying the brethren meant to see um, abuse in the name of religion. Irene, if you betrayed the brother, or if you leave a polygamous marriage, is there a, a violence uh, that can result, or is your life uh, threatened? Well, in the first place, the men make the rules, and one of the rules is that we were taught all our life that we could leave any moment that we wanted. We could walk out that door, but the children belonged to the man. We could not take our children, and we were to go out with a clothes on our back. And in the first place, I want to ask you, how can a woman ever walk out when she has been told that she will be destroyed and go to hell. She has had no education. She has had uh, no job skills, and she is saddled with anything from a dozen to, I know one woman that had 22 children, and we were told to not let a year go by without seeing that children weren't, uh, you know, were born into this. And so how can a woman ever leave Hmm. Irene, how did you leave? Because I know you ended up finally with sharing your husband with nine women. How did you end up getting out of this? Well, you know, I believed it with all my heart because I am four generations of it. And when something is generational, the Bible says the sins of generations, but it says when something is generational, we never question it. And my own father was put in prison for two and a half years for polygamy. And, uh, Doesn't that kind of make you wonder? Yeah, and, and when he was put in prison, we just figured that we were God's chosen people and that we were being persecuted for God's sake, mm-hmm. you know. And then my father would say, you know, I went to prison so you kids wouldn't be branded. He said, and, and so now you've got to live polygamy. And so we did it for our parents. But just because a person does something over and over and over for years doesn't mean it's right. But Christ... Uh, we were taught that there were sins that uh, that uh, Christ's blood did not pay for and that we would have to pay for our own. And that's why even in early Mormonism and even in the LeBaron and some of the other groups, they talk about blood atonement. Irene Spencer, she's written the book Shattered Dreams, My Life as a Polygamist Wife. No longer in a polygamous marriage, no longer in Mormonism. She knows now Jesus Christ is Lord, is God in the flesh. He is her Savior and her Lord. Irene, thank you for being with us. We're up on a hard break. We've got to go. But folks, when we come back, we'll talk to an expert on world religions, Dr. Phil Roberts. He's an expert on Mormonism. He's written two or three books about that. He's also an expert on Islam, on reincarnation. The government of China, incidentally, is about to start regulating reincarnation. How are they going to do that? (laughs) That'll be funny to talk about. And we'll go back to Allah. Is Allah the God of the Bible? This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pentadexter. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Welcome back tonight on CNN. A series called God's Warriors begins. Tonight they'll talk about Jewish folks. Tomorrow night, Muslims. Thursday night, Christians. Can't wait for that. Here's Christiane Amanpour. Over the last 30 years, religion has exploded as a powerful political force with armies of believers determined to fight for their faith. A powerful political force, she says. Powerful political force. Christians, Muslims, and Jews. Power, politics, and religion. Tomorrow, we're going to be interviewing Alan Dershowitz. He's just written a book about Christians, the religious right, so-called hijacking the Declaration of Independence. And we've just been talking about Mormonism. And we have an expert on the line right now in Mormonism. Dr. Phil Roberts is president of the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. And Dr. Roberts used to be the point man for Southern Baptists on the cults and on the other world religions. Welcome to the program, Dr. Roberts. Oh, Jerry, great to be with you. Pleasure always. All right, Dr. Roberts, uh, this CNN special tonight, we've just been talking about Mormonism, and obviously Mitt Romney running for the president as a Mormon. Uh, A lot of people don't know that it's not just Christianity and Islam and uh, the Jews who are, you know, have political aspirations, but uh, Mormonism... Uh, there's some strange political expectations that Joseph Smith had about the notion of a republic. Tell us what what uh, Mormonism, yeah. church and state, what is that? Well, the fact of the matter is, Jerry, that Mitt Romney is not the first Mormon to run for president, and neither was his father, George Romney, but Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, ran for the presidency in 1840. Uh, it was his desire and will to be president of the United States. <laughs> he actually had himself coronated as a king secretly. He established the largest militia in the state of Illinois, thousands of soldiers who were enlisted under his command. Mormonism has a very clear sense of a theocratic view of government in the sense that, that they believe that the United States one day will collapse and Mormonism will come to its rescue and that their intent and plan and purpose is to establish a Mormon kingdom on the face of the earth. They believe the millennium will be uh, very much uh, focused on the Mormon religion, that Jesus Christ will come back and say that he is the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Mormon faith, the Mormon presidents will come back with him to judge the, the earth's generations while they were president, and they will establish millennial headquarters right here in Independence, Missouri, not far from me. And uh, that's, that is a very strongly theocratic view of uh, religion that the Mormon faith espouses, but doesn't say too much about. In fact, I don't think Mitt Romney's talking about it very much. No, I don't think we'll hear that in a debate anytime soon. We'll be looking for that sound. Let me ask you another question. We've just been talking to a woman who was in a polygamous marriage, fundamentalist Mormon, and, um, you know, I know that the church, the so-called church, uh, the Mormon hierarchy, uh, disavowed polygamy some time ago. I know that the, the, the U.S. government said it's illegal. But um, 
What are the theological roots of polygamy in Mormonism, and are they still? Do they still remain? Oh yes, the theological roots are very much right there, embedded and grounded in the Mormon faith. In actual fact, they didn't disavow polygamy as much as they declared, and it was a declaration. It wasn't a revelation so much by the Mormon president in 1890. It was a declaration not to practice polygamy because of the pressure being put upon them by the U.S. government, the realization they'd never be admitted to the Union if they openly practice polygamy. So uh, very much it's the case that the theological roots are there. Basically, uh, to make a long story short, addressing two sides of the issue, Joseph Smith concocted this revelation to justify his multiple extramarital affairs. But he justified it theologically by saying, we need to provide bodies, physical bodies, for these disembodied spirit children of God and his wife up in the pre-mortal realm that need to come down and inhabit these bodies. And if these spirits don't inhabit the bodies of these babies that uh, these women will carry when they're pregnant, then these spirit children of the Heavenly Father up in the spirit realm won't be able to go on to Godhood themselves. So Mormons very much encourage uh, large families because every one of those children, every child born on the face of the earth, was once a spirit, they believe, who was actually a literal spiritual offspring of God and his wife up in the pre-mortal realm. In fact, I was in a Mormon bookstore, picked up a, a birthday card, and it showed a little baby sliding down a a slide from uh, the pre-moral realm to earth, and inside you'd open the card, and it says, congratulations on the new arrival. Amazing. So that's that's the theo- theological rationale behind polygamy, although I think it's very clear that Joseph Smith needed a rationale to justify his extramarital wanderings. Sort of a cover for sin. Dr. Roberts, this is Penna Dexter. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch Mitt Romney because he doesn't ever talk about his Mormonism unless he's forced to do so. So you yeah. wonder if he's part of this and if this is his motivation, if he's got any religious motivation or just a political motivation for running. But I want to move on to another story that we teased a little bit earlier. It's kind of another strange one about China. Because, yeah. of course, in this country, uh, we always are fighting against government regulation of religion. Uh, you know, we're not supposed to have that here. Yeah. Well, in China, they don't really make any bones about it. And uh, so this story is about uh, sort of one of their sort of absurd acts where they have actually banned Buddhist monks in Tibet from reincarnating without government position, uh, permission. I don't know if you know about this story, right, but it's really uh, to cut to off. Read about it, yes. Okay, so what? I mean, what is this all about? What do you think of it? Well, somebody needs to make a movie. Mao Zedong meets Buddha, and and uh, bring <laughs> or the Dalai Lama. Well, what it is basically is a desire on the government's part to control the uh, lamas in Tibet. It's a bit like what the Soviet Union tried against churches when they said the churches and their pastors must register with the government. It was a, a ploy and a plot to attempt to control the church leadership and to control the churches. And what the Chinese government is saying, we will not recognize these lamas who say they are reincarnation, reincarnations of previous lamas or spiritual teachers unless they register with, with us. So. The government clearly can't keep them from believing or thinking they're reincarnated, 
but they do want to limit their abilities to carry authority to operate openly by saying we will only recognize some of them as official if they are willing to cooperate with the government. The rest will be persecuted. Uh, Dr. Roberts, you know, uh, the Dalai Lama, very popular in Hollywood, yeah. Buddhism, gaining traction. I've even heard some people calling themselves Buddhist Christians, famous uh, basketball coach, did that yeah. several years ago. Yeah, our uh, <laughs> uh, Phil, the former coach of the Bulls. And You're the exactly Lakers. right. Yeah. Now, here's my question for you. Would you contrast the Buddhist notion of reincarnation with the Christian idea of regeneration or new birth? Sure. Reincarnation is actually a very pessimistic view of the afterlife. Uh, the situation is that it so emphasizes religious duty and certain forms of morality, although sometimes you don't even know what they are, that one lifetime is not good enough to reach the ultimate spiritual destiny, to be reincarnated back into, or to be reabsorbed, that is, back in to the great universal world soul, and to escape the cycle of reincarnation. So if you're reincarnated, it's actually a negative element. You don't want to be reincarnated, you want to be reabsorbed. And so you need multiple lifetimes to, first of all, rid yourself of bad karma, all the, the bad deeds and the, the wrong things you've done in past lives, and then you need to accumulate a nice reserve of good karma so that eventually you'll move up the reincarnation scale, whether you know, you're know reincarnated as a fly or a Baptist preacher or whatever <laughs> it is. Your, your goal is to move up that scale and hierarchy so that you can be reabsorbed and Finally, all your bad karma is erased, and you have enough good karma to qualify yourself to be reabsorbed. But reincarnation in, in the West is often seen as a positive thing. You know, oh boy, I get to get reincarnated into a millionaire's lifestyle and have uh, another life to live and use on myself and my own desires and wishes. But in the actual Eastern thought and religion, Hinduism and Buddhism, it's negative because it means that you haven't really qualified to, to be reabsorbed. Well, Dr. Phil Roberts, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, thank you so much for being with us. A great school you have there, and we enjoy having you on. We'll have you back. Thank you. Great to be with you. All right, folks, think of reincarnation. Is that your hope for the future? Well, I hope not. The Bible teaches something else. It's called resurrection. Resurrection. It's the resurrection of the body. We come back. Jesus is coming back to this earth bodily, physically. But when he does, you are coming back. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are coming back to reoccupy your body. A new, glorified, resurrected body. It's an amazing truth, amazing doctrine. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment you die, your spirit goes to be in God's presence. But when Christ returns, you come as well, and you come back to a glorified body. Not as something else, a bug, um, a snake. You come back as you, glorified, without sin, a resurrection body. When we come back, we'll pick up on all these topics. We'll take some calls. We've got some emails. Is Allah the God of the Bible? We'll be right back. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Penedexter. 
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today to register for the fall term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today to register for the fall term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Congressman Duncan Hunter is running for President of the United States. Here's Duncan Hunter on the proper relationship between church and state. God has had his hand on this country. And uh, and I believe that that's the centerpiece of this country, and it's also the centerpiece of our of our laws and of our of our independence because remember we pulled ourselves away from great britain with the proposition that all men are created equal that we have inalienable rights that don't come from a king they don't come from a congressman or a president they come from god and it was that belief that faith that strong christian faith that allowed us to have enough strength to pull ourselves away from a monarchy and it's only with that strength that we're going to be able to maintain this great country. That was Duncan Hunter speaking on this program last week. I love what he said. You know, the biblical doctrines, Christianity, God, Jesus, they all are so influential in the formation of this country and in its continuation, in its government. It's not a theocracy. America is not a theocracy. The Constitution was specifically written so that it would not be. But I think people need to watch out as they watch, if they do watch, God's Warriors, this CNN special tonight and throughout the rest of the week. And the way they portray this and the way they show religion in conjunction with government, because I know even on last night on Larry King Live, which is in that time slot, there was a big critique of people like Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, and others on the quote-unquote religious right for having too much influence. And there was a whole uh, pumping up of this whole idea of the separation of church and state. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, we've already debunked that that's not even in the Constitution on this program before. But the influence of Christianity on this country is a good thing, on our laws, on our morals, and our whole social structure. And it needs to remain. It doesn't need to be shut out. Now, John MacArthur was on Larry King Live last night, and he was critiquing what's going on right now with all the candidates on both sides of the aisle, but especially the Democrats, using Christianity, basically saying they're Christian, Christians to gain political ground is what he says. He says the latest reports on the candidates, everybody sounds like a Christian. Everybody sounds religious. It's not all real Christianity, though, and I think we need to be able to sort this all out. And I know that that's going to be done in an interview, Dr. Johnson, that you're going to be doing with Alan Dershowitz, Harvard professor, attorney, and author of a new book called Blasphemy later this week. 
All right. Back to our lead story today, though. We must bring some closure to this. Mm -hmm. Is the God of the Bible the same as the God of the Quran? Is Allah to be equated with Jehovah, the Bishop of Breda in the Netherlands, saying, let's call God Allah, even recommending in the Lord's Supper that Christians refer to God as Allah. He says this will bring us all together. Great. Is the God of the Bible the God of the Koran? And it's not just about the Netherlands again. It's right here in Texas. I remind you that a man named Charles Kimball came to lecture for the Baptist General Convention of Texas in February of this year. Here's what he said. He says, the name for God in Islam in Arabic is Allah. This is not another God. This is the God. It's the same God that Jews and Christians are talking about. And I want to say, um, after some people exposed, really, what happened in this conference, the Baptist General Convention of Texas began to backtrack. They put out a public statement. I'm reading from their public statement. It's an attempt, I think, to kind of cover it up. But here's a telling line from their statement. Yet acknowledging our deep differences does not negate Dr. Kimball's central point. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam hold some things in common. Well, what in common? That's really the issue. Do we hold the same God in common? The executive director of the Baptist Convention, General Convention of Texas, Charles Wade, put it this way. Listen, he said, to say that the God of Christians, Jews, and Muslims is the same God is a literary and historical understanding of the common origins we have in the story of Abraham. Again, he's trying to deflect criticism, but that kind of statement I don't think helps very much. It is a good thing that he goes on to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think he's conflicted on this. He is retiring. He's going out. And I want to say this is why we support the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. It's the conservative convention. It's the evangelical convention. But, you know, we had some emailers, Penna, who emailed in on this story, and I thought it was very interesting. Here's Chris Graves. He says this, In a pragmatic and theological sense, God is very different in Islam and Christianity. He says, But they do share a similar philosophical understanding on the existence of God, that there is a God who exists. One but, God. But also liberals God. play to this confusion, he said. They're mm-hmm. playing to the confusion. Here's another email that came in from Marie. I'm pretty ignorant of these things, but ever since I can remember, I always thought that God's name, chosen by himself, is Yahweh or Jehovah. Here's another writer, David, who sent in an email. People can say that God and Allah are the same, but I say, look at their actions. Look at their attributes. Look at their teachings to determine the answer to that. Uh, That's David Rosenthal from Garland. I think that's a very interesting observation, and I think we should look at that for just a moment. Let's talk about the God of Islam. Let's talk about Allah. Is he a God of love? No, he's not a God of love. He is a God of wrath. He is a God of uh, righteousness, a God of indignation, but not a God of love. The God of the Bible, Jehovah, is a God of love. He is a relational God. But Allah is not a relational God. He is totally transcendent. Now, the God of the Bible is transcendent, but he is also imminent. He's everywhere. He also is imminent in the incarnation. God became a man. And there is no place in the Quran, no place in Islam, no place in talk of Allah 
that he is a father, and he is a father with a son specifically. Allah is not a father, and he certainly does not have a son. To an Islamist, to a Muslim, that's blasphemy to say that God could have or would have a son. And I think the New Testament is very clear on this point. If you deny Christ, if you deny the Son, that's the spirit of Antichrist. There's no common ground there. This is a false religion. This is a false God. You say, well, these names don't matter. Well, they mattered when it was Baal or Baal in the Old Testament. The names mattered when it was the god Molech in the Old Testament. The names mattered when it was the god Dagon in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets, um, they prophesied against the Jews mixing Judaism with the worship of Baal, the worship of Molech, the, the worship of Dagon. That was precisely what they were prophesying against. And, of course, we know the God of the Bible is a father, not Allah. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did something Muhammad never did or claimed to do. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. And he was seen by hundreds. Hundreds of people saw him. And he offers forgiveness and a new kind of life to those who believe in him and who follow him as Lord. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.